we are now two weeks removed from the Champions League final in Istanbul, and it seems as though many question marks have arisen surrounding Manchester City's fate amongst the players and Pep Guardiola's future. Lionel Messi is shaping up to change the landscape of American soccer, and the U.S. men's national team made a big announcement this week that may split some opinions amongst the American fan base. We'll cover all of this and more on the supporter section. Grab your scars. We start right now. Welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 73 of the supporter section podcast. Go ahead and leave a like and subscribe to the channel if you have not already. We thank you so much for joining us today. And with me is my good friend, Brandon Patesnick. So good to have you here. Um, we're missing Steven Knight, but hey, we're going to get moving together with a little bit of what you're wearing, Brandon. What you got on today for the podcast? A beautiful Inter Milan 2021 season pre-match training kit. This is the season where Antonio Conte led the team to a first place finish, knocking off, was it a 10-peat for Juventus? Maybe? I think it might have been. run regardless. Um, stopping them from getting that 10 at least. Uh, and Lukaku was the Golden Boot winner that year. Pretty, pretty great year, which kicked off. What did we say? It was like four years now in a row for the Italian league. They've had different winners, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, they went from Juve to Inter to AC Milan, and now this year Napoli getting in on the mix. So a little yeah. bit of parity in the Italian league that we're not quite seeing in the English Premier League, and certainly not the French and German league. So Italy, yeah. bravo to them. I've got on a special 97-98 Tottenham throwback kit from Pony. Um, I like this jersey, not because of where they finished that year. They finished 14th in the table. Um, definitely an abysmal season in Tottenham's history books. But I sort of like it. It's from the year I was born, so it's cool. I love the collar, the little piping. It's just a classic throwback kit. Um, an old Tottenham crest, certainly not the cockerel we're used to seeing. Um, it's like a special edition one. I think all these things have meaning, but I don't know them off the top of my <laughs> head, to say the least. But a cool kit, um, a special edition that Pony has made, and um, yeah, kind of fun. Well, I like what you're wearing, but we're going to move on to the meat of the podcast. As we mentioned, we are now two weeks removed from that Champions League final that took place in Istanbul between Manchester City and Inter Milan. And guys, this one was... Um, I would say an entertaining Champions League final, Brandon. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it was entertaining. Um, a lot of people thought Manchester City was going to go blow them out. I mean, I think us sort of included in that. Um, but Inter Milan were up for it. And at the end of the day, can probably feel hard done by by the result. Yeah, I mean, even you think about Lukaku, he was this kind of popular header now that he didn't score you know people were saying how do you not score from what three meters away um all yeah. these different things they had their chances it, it wasn't like you they said did. it wasn't like especially that first half i think they kept it close um but then roger getting the goal in the 60th 68th minute um putting them away and uh, manchester city finally getting their european trophy that they have so longly craved and get the treble as well so a big season for them um but as i mentioned a lot of question marks, you know, like what's next for this team? Um, what goal should they even have next year? They've, they've now gotten the trouble. Uh, can they now go for the quadruple? Um, I guess let's land there, Brandon. And I'll get your thoughts on 
what is Nexus team? Like what, what can they even begin to think about accomplishing as a team moving forward? Yeah, I, I really think it starts with winning the league again. Cause I don't know if there's been any team in premier league history that's won four in a row, maybe in like, uh, in all of English top flight history. I don't know if anybody's won four in a row. There has to be, right? But I, I don't know. Um, they talk about that Manchester United team, you know, with in the 90s and 2000s. But did they ever... I don't think they ever won four in a row. Um, either way, if they could win four in a row, that's an amazing feat, especially with the the quality of the league where it's at right now. Um, so that I think it starts there. And then yeah, it's the quadruple. You wanna you wanna build off your your last season. Um, the the Champions League is obviously the hardest to win, but I think they'll be favorites again, like they have been seemingly for the past like three years. So if they can live up to to the expectations, I'm sure they'll make one or two signings, which I guess we can we can talk about in a minute. It's like again, it's almost like all of these tournaments are theirs if they really really want them. And I think for Guardiola, if he wants to be the best manager of all time, if he does a quadruple, I mean, how how can you argue? How can you argue that? Yeah, well, a quick thing. I looked up Man U. I think they won three in a row once or twice, but never four in a row. So no one's ever done it. So that could be their chance, like you said. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, Man City could have the chance to literally win everything at their disposal which would never be done. They get the chance at winning the Super Cup, the UEFA Super Cup, um, what, the FA Community Shield, right? Premier League again. Carabao. Carabao FA Cup, Cup. FA Cup. I mean, they could have the chance. Champions League again. They could win six trophies next season, potentially, which would be unheard of, right? So, I mean, they, maybe yeah. that is – they literally want to conquer everything. They want to be world beaters, and that's just like – that's an unconceivable thought. I don't think anyone's ever really had before, you know, even the likes of those Manchester United teams, the best Real Madrid teams that we've had. I don't know if that's ever actually been a conversation that we've been able to have before. And that's the scary part is if they added, you know, the likes of Josco Gavardio, the RB Leipzig center back, adding him to this Man City team is just like the already richest getting even richer than what they already are now, which is just, just like, it doesn't make sense. It's unfair in reality for one, but then I don't know. You replace potentially someone like Kyle Walker, Jao Cancelo, like players like that might be on the way out. And, you know, who do they bring in? They're probably going to bring in the next best people in the world anyways. So yeah. it's, it's pretty insane to think about what they could do. Um, what, I mean, what do you think they can do? I guess what's realistic to you that, that they can achieve next year? I mean, we obviously don't know like what's incomings, outgoings, but quadruple, you really think it's possible? <laughs> At this point, they made the they made the treble look somewhat easy. Yeah, the quadruple's got to be even. They've only missed out on the Carabao Cup this year, and that's like their trophy they normally do win. You know who yeah. the one man who stopped it from winning the Carabao Cup? Nathan Jones of Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> and he's no longer in the picture anymore. So, you know, they're obviously in the clear now. Neither is Southampton. <laughs> yeah. So it just got a whole lot easier for them to get the quadruple and from that perspective. So, man, I just, I, I can't believe it. Go ahead. I, yeah, I, I definitely think it starts domestic. They can win the league. They can win FA and Carabao. Um, but the Champions League is, is again, 
that's it's just the hardest. It's the hardest thing to do. Um, but like they can. It's right. the craziest thing. They, they can. And if they, I think we'll have to see how the summer transfer window goes. I think if they can hang on to uh, Gundawan and like Bernardo Silva, like some of these players that have been mentioned about going out, which we'll talk about, and they just add like one or two pieces to bolster the team just a little bit. I mean, like, dude, yeah. <laughs> it's insane yeah. what they can do. I, I really think the sky's the limit. Well, I mean, even if you want to talk about Champions League, I think Inter is sort of the example of what can go wrong for the big teams. Inter, by many standards, was not supposed to be a favorite to make it to the final. I mean, their road to get there, they had to go through some pretty tough teams, their group especially. I think Barcelona and Bayern Munich were in their group, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Those teams are supposed to be Champions League finalists, always in the odds. So Man City next year might run into the Inter Milan of the tournament and get knocked out. That's the beauty of the Champions League is those right. teams are in it for a reason and they can take anyone out. We saw, what was it, Sheriff a year ago did really well in their Beat group. Real Madrid. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't know. And it's um, it's a game of chess. Pep Guardiola sometimes is great at chess and sometimes he overthinks it, thinks he's one or two steps ahead and misses the first one right in front of him. So I don't know what they could do. Um, but we have to talk about the future of those players that you mentioned. Gundogan is 32 years old now. When that market, I think, actually just opened up, he's going to be a free agent. This is a guy that played 31 Premier League games, 13 Champions League games, three in the FA Cup, three in the Carabao Cup, and the Community Shield. That is a lot of games, and his goal contributions were higher than ever this year, 11 goals, six assists. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be, you know, one of the captains on your team. A player that's going to be in the locker room that has the presence that you want to see. He's a leader, outspoken, um, obviously has the quality, really got hot in the end of the year. You lose a guy like that in the locker room, that could really, you know, mess things up, mess up the culture of the team and maybe lose a little bit of direction. Yeah, I I think he has to stay. It's interesting. I looked up what he's on right now. He's on um, 140,000 pounds a week which is a lot in and of itself, but that Manchester city team, <laughs> some of them are on 300 plus. So not, I'm not saying good needs to be there. Cause I don't think he brings, you know, that price, but he, he he's definitely going to want to raise. And so I think that's maybe where the negotiations come in is like, does one, does he want to stay? Why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. Unless you, unless you wanted to go take it easy in, in Germany, Go back to Germany, or um, I think he's only been with Bayern, right? He's only been rumored with Bayern, from what I've seen. I think Barcelona as well. Barca too, of course. Um, if they can even pull that off themselves, right? Like, why would you want to go there? I don't know. Uh, so if they can maybe agree on on a good wage, uh, why I, why would you not stay? Pep uses you. He trusts you. You know how to play the system. You can play everywhere. You're a really good player. Like. You could win the quadruple. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, the opportunity's there. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of a team like that? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, they. I, if I were Man City, I would want to hang on to him at all costs. Yeah, he's definitely one of those players that you want to keep around for um, what he can do to a team. Jao Cancelo, a weird situation. We saw that kind of play out in the winter. Um, him going on loan to Bayern Munich. 
and then not having that obli- – I don't know if there was an obligation or not, but he's obviously now returned to Man City. His contract goes all the way till 2027. So it's not like this is like at the end of the road for Man City and him. Like they have a long future if he sticks it out. But there's a lot of rumors swirling around him of where he may go. I've even heard Barcelona again. Um, maybe there's some other Premier League teams that might be eyeing him. Um, I don't know. But this is a guy that, you know, split his season in the Premier League, the Bundesliga, obviously in Champions League, um, in total playing over 47 games, 11 assists. You lose on an 11 assists on any team, that's going to be a big loss. But if him and Pep don't have that relationship, um, I think they've already proven they don't need him. He's not a necessity. Um, so I'd even say he's probably more than likely to go. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think he would. If Byron were smart, they would, they would buy him. Um, that's like the only thing that makes sense to me right now. Um, he's going to play on a top four team in the world, right? Like he, he is that good of a talent. So he's not going to go anywhere below that. And again, his wages are not going to go anywhere below that either. So it's it's back to Man City, you know, maybe mend that relationship and maybe feel reinvigorated to play for Manchester City, right? To, to go for it all again next year. Um, uh, see eye to eye with Pep, right? Put in the work that's needed. Or again, go take it relatively easy in Germany. The German League is is competitive, but like if you're at the top, you're 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 okay (laughs) you're doing all right especially if you're at Bayern so I go to Bayern enjoy it but I don't think Man City would miss him as much as they might miss a couple of of these guys yeah his market just might be hard because he is one of those higher wage players he would demand a high fee and currently you know there's so many teams we'll kind of get to a little bit later there's so many teams in that uh, football financial regularity issue you know Chelsea obviously um, financial fair play who could actually afford him is a big question mark you know Real Madrid probably could but they don't need him really that's just not a priority for them a team like Atletico maybe but again these teams just don't have the wage structures that fit a player like a Manchester a Manchester City player um, trying to leave the club so that'd be really hard um, I don't know what his future he I think he has a very cloudy future um, much like a bunch of these players will get to like Bernardo Silva He's only 28. His contract ends in 2025. Again, a big contributor to what Pep does. Seven goals, six assists. Mares, probably the most likely one, I think, to leave and is easy. He might even be a candidate um, to go to like the Saudi Arabian teams. Um, he's a guy that had 15 goals, 13 assists on the season. Um, and then an interesting case here on this one, Calvin Phillips, a guy that came from Leeds on, was it 30 million maybe, something like that? Um, I can't it was remember a lot more than that. Was it a lot more than that? Yeah, I think it was definitely 40 at least. Yeah, it was, it was a good price tag. Man. And his contract is already coming to an end. He, he only played 21 total games, 12 appearances in the premier league. I mean, he just sort of was one of those people that's on a group project and just got the credit for being a part of it. He didn't really do a whole lot. Zero goals, zero assists this season but yet somehow made the World Cup roster in England. Um, <laughs> Sorry, his contract ends June of 2028. Sorry. Oh, okay. I mistyped. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. I was sort of confused. I thought, okay. Anyways. But, I mean, it might as well be ending because he's not playing. Like, right. He's not contributing to the team at all. So it's crazy. Yeah. I, 
I think a lot of teams actually might be in for him. Yeah, I mean, there's he could go to probably a decent amount of Premier League clubs. I mean, even, I don't know, Newcastle maybe looking around if they need help. Yeah. Um, I saw something weird that Newcastle, though, is like still being weird about the money they want to spend this season. Like they may not mm. be splurging like many people had suggested. I don't know. It's obviously hey, we're, maybe maybe they're gonna shock us and find some gems and uh, not have to spend as much money, but still compete like right. in Brighton per se. Right. I don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah, but I mean, Calvin Phillips to Newcastle would be great. Calvin Phillips to Villa would be great. Calvin mm-hmm. Phillips to Tottenham would be great. I mean, I think he would fit in at a bunch of teams and maybe not start right away, but he could, if the right team comes, he definitely could. I think Calvin Phillips to Liverpool is really tasty for being mm-hmm. honest. That's, that's a signing that could bolster their midfield and they really need it because yeah. Fabinho and whoever else old, old men that are on that team need that need to move on. Like well, they, they missed out on Jude this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if anybody else in the world could afford Jude <laughs> this year. Um, like Real Madrid did. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mares, I would expect Mares to stay, honestly. And you can sort of see it. Like these guys' contracts, some of them line up with Pep leaving as well or mm-hmm. potentially leaving in 2025. So if Bernardo Silva stays on, which I think he might be the most likely to leave, um, him and Zhao Cancelo. But like, let's say Man City keeps Gundogan, Zhao Cancelo, Mares, and Phillips. Who cares? Like, they make one to two more signings and they're still stacked. They're Running still stacked. Back. So they're not going to get rid of all these guys. They're not. So they're, they're too smart to do that. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe not in 2024, but the biggest question mark does remain Pep Guardiola's future. After 2025, it's said to be reported from The Guardian saying that he is firmly minded to leave when his contract expires. He's done it all already. He's done it with Barcelona. He's done it with Bayern Munich. He's now done it with Manchester City. We hear a lot with different players. Obviously, managers sometimes just need to change the scenery. They want to experience something new. If I think about Pep Guardiola, the thing that he maybe has not experienced yet is coaching a national team. That lines up pretty well with the 2026 World Cup. Maybe Mm -hmm. that is in his future. What do you think about that? Maybe. He'd have to go to a team that would be able to take on his his mastermind pretty quickly um you know it's he'd have less than a year uh, maybe about a full year to to work with a national team to get him ready for the world cup i don't know i don't know if he i don't know if he'd want to go straight into that though after after a season and doing all that but he'd also have to adjust a lot he'd have to adjust a lot he wouldn't be able to put as a put as much across to the teams because you know international duty you don't spend as much time as you would with your club so i uh i would love to see him at spain that'd be absolutely amazing that'd be amazing so uh, who knows i'm curious i uh i think that's just the logical next step for me i would think he's Kind of just one of those people. He's sort of quirky. He's sort of weird. I think he keeps people on their toes. His quotes are always great. Um, I would love to see him change it up. I think after the Euros in 2024, I think we're going to see some mix-ups. There's always someone that gets fired. Those opportunities are going to be available. You know, 
I think come towards the end of this next cycle for the World Cup, I think he's going to end up on a national team and might surprise a few folks. I would Mm -hmm. love to see him find a place in Europe, one of those big teams, um, come to America in 2026 and maybe make a a big mark on the international game. But we'll see Manchester City um, for now. I think this season will be fine. But in the next year or so, it's going to be an interesting uh, place to see where they end up. Um, will they get if, the quadruple or not? Yeah, they, they they might. But if if he were to go at at the end of his contract and it wasn't an international team, where would you want to see him, coach? Man, you know, I just I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I I just like I don't think he could go anywhere else in England. Mm-mm. He's already done it at Barcelona, so he's not going to go coach at Madrid. He's already done with Bayern Munich. Is Italy too low for him? Like, you know, who's going to be able to afford him in Italy as a coach? It might be a Juventus revolution. It could be like a perfect timing for that. That would be interesting. Yeah, I guess Juve literally would be the only club that might have the stature, the pocketbooks, if they're not (laughs) defunct by breaking all sorts of rules. (laughs) Um, but it'd be cool to see him at like Ajax or something like just take a, like a half step down, you know, but like a club that's like has its own thing already. That'd be so weird, but I'd love it. What would really mix it up would be if they, I hope it doesn't happen. If somehow the super league came to existence and there was like one team that maybe people wouldn't have suspected that would maybe lure him into a different job, but let's pray and hope that does not happen. <laughs> it's not, it's not. well enough about manchester city and pep guardiola uh another man has taken the spotlight once again six months after winning the world cup the first time in a long time Lionel messi the argentinian superstar made his decision recently to join major league soccer's inter miami this is a big big deal we thought maybe he would stick around in europe a year or two more but we have seen the soon to be 36 year old Messi signed a two-year deal that includes a percentage of sales from Apple's MLS season pass, a percentage of Inter-Miami shirt sales, and a potential ownership stake in a club. He's going to make roughly $53 million annually, according to Sport. Um, And that number does not include the aforementioned agreements with Apple and Adidas. Brandon, give me some other little bit more details about this Messi deal. Yeah, as you could probably imagine, Messi's going to make the most out of anyone in the MLS, and it's by a long shot. The current highest-paid player is Jordan Shakiri at Chicago Fire, who just makes just over $8 million. So Messi will be making a lot more than that. Um, and there's only nine other athletes in all of North American sports who are assigned to a contract that are worth more than $500 million. A lot of them are basketball players, a couple football players, um, but Messi is on that list. Um, obviously, Messi will be able to play once his contract does expire on June 30th um, from PSG. He'll, he'll officially join Inter-Miami. And I think you said earlier when we were talking, his first game is was announced today. They're mm-hmm. going to be playing Cruz Azul in the Leaks Cup, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's when he'll, he'll be playing. So, mm. oh, man. I just, first of all, <laughs> MLS, we've talked about this on the podcast before, has the weirdest financial rules. Gam, Tam, 
DPs. And thank you, ma'am. It's all, all made up. <laughs> all these different freaking rules and whatnot. And suddenly, Inter Miami gets the whole league. There's rumors of every club basically was included, had to either invest or approve or somehow was involved with this whole scheme to land Lionel Messi in MLS. And I don't think he applies to all the rules that have previously been set in MLS. No. Which, for me, I'm, I'm excited to have him, but irks me because it's just like, it just sort of feels like a big joke at the end of the day to have all these rules set in stone and then suddenly they're just thrown out the door for this one player to come in. If they had just loosened the rules, I think MLS would be miles ahead to where it is now. We've talked about this in the past. Teams like LA, FC, Galaxy, LA United, NYCFC, they would have been already bringing in potentially big-name players for big money, and then now suddenly Messi comes in, and they break this whole established rule um, down and just crumbled nothing. What are your thoughts on the national thoughts on uh, Messi coming in? Yeah, I, initial thoughts, I never thought it would happen. Um, he's obviously way too good to be playing at this level. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested. I wish I could get into the mind of Messi to see why he made this deci- decision. Because it's not necessarily for money, right? He could have gone to Saudi Arabia and gotten, what was the deal a over a billion dollars? That is insane. Turns that down. He already has a partnership with them as a country. So I think he's already getting paid well enough over there to come, you know, spread his magic to, to the MLS and to the United States. I'm just excited and I hope I can catch a game. I would, I just want to see him live play in the MLS. And it's, it's, there's been a lot of memes going around as I'm sure many of you have seen. Um, about him on his way to score 13 goals against Chicago Fire and stuff like that. And it's true. It is absolutely true. He is going to rip up this league um, single-handedly if he has to. Miami's not great, but with the rumors that are circling, which we'll talk about in a minute, I mean, it's crazy. I don't like all of this rule bending. Uh, I don't like how my club had to buy into this for him to come. Um no, none of none of nobody should want their club to pay in for another team to get a player, right? The benefits of having the, the goat, right? Yeah. Um, but let's take an op- optimistic viewpoint on this. This is probably the catalyst to absolutely tear down these stupid MLS rules. I think it's going to really just kick open the door and we'll finally be able to play on the world market. And that's really, that idea is really exciting for me. So we'll see. It is. No, it is exciting. And these poor high school kids are 18 years old, making their debuts, having to go up against Messi. <laughs> it's going to be a rude awakening to many, I'm sure. Um, we'll see how it actually plays out. But yeah, it's it's interesting. And now there's even more rumors about other players that might be rumored to follow him. All his best buddies in the Barca days, you got Sergio Busquets, who's 34 years old and is basically all but confirmed. Uh, potentially signing as a free agent until 2025, potentially. Jordi Alba, who's 34 now, um, he might have a chance to come in. Luis Suarez is always toyed with the idea of wanting to play with him again. Angel Di Maria, um, being a free agent this summer, opens the door for him, potentially. And then Griezmann, a guy who's been linked to Miami for a couple of years, might have a chance to join Messi, which, again, just begs more questions of how does this happen? Is that is any of that even legal under MLS rules? 
And if it is, they're definitely going to have to start offloading players. Then. I mean, even you think about Joseph Martinez just coming in. Yeah. He might have to be gone. Um, yeah. You know, I think is it, is it, do they have Campanas or I think someone like that? Um, different names. I can't remember for sure Miami's roster right now, but. Oh yeah. They're going to do some, some moving and shaking. I yeah. mean, that's, that's definitely for sure. I and mean, with the DP rule, you can technically, I think, pay them as much as you want if they have that DP title attached. Right. So that's why Messi can make that much. But do they, I mean, does Inter-Miami have that much money to spend on? I mean, they're paying for a whole complex to be built, supposedly, yep. in Miami, if that is even going to happen. Like, it, maybe that was the lure for Messi, honestly, is to be in, have stake in the club, have that whole thing expanded and... I don't know. I just, we'll see. We'll see. It's like, it makes me feel weird that the MLS is really like, yeah, Messi, come on. Here you go, Inter Miami. You're the worst team like every year. Right. But yeah, you can do this, David Beckham. Sure. Like, I, it just makes me feel weird. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're 27 or 28 seasons in now to MLS. I mean, I just think by league standards, I think we're sort of past this whole, the league is young. Idea. We're past it. We're past it. If you want Messi to come here, then change the whole rules of the whole structure. Just yes. change it because th- we're ready for it. We're ready for it. We're not and we're not the NFL. We're we're soccer. <laughs> like we're yeah. we're trying to play on the world stage. And if the MLS wants to grow and be competitive on that stage, and if we want to produce Americans in our own league, right? Like there's always arguments about that. It's like, come on. Let, let's do let's do the thing but i get it from a, a business owner perspective as well right. though. I, I i completely get that yeah that's the thing they're just they're trying to protect those smaller market clubs that don't have the same financial you know boost that other clubs do and that's hard it's hard how do you balance as a league um at some point you know maybe it comes to changing the rules or maybe at some point you get to promo, promotion relegation i don't know uh, but for I, now I just wonder what the conversations were like. Like Colorado, for example, needs this messy money. Atlanta United does not need this messy money. No. LA Galaxy does not, maybe this year, but usually doesn't. LAFC right. does not. And so then like what's next, right? Like what what what's next with the rule changes? Are they gonna go to football stadiums so they can sell more tickets now and so that home teams don't even play at home? Like, what is the MLS going to do next that's going to make me mad, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I would not be surprised if they do that. I would not be surprised if they do that. Um, is Messi going to play on turf? Yeah. You know, Wayne Rooney didn't like playing on turf. He hardly did it. Zlatan never did, I don't think, in the MLS when he was here. Like, is is Messi going to? I assume that's in his contract if he's going to be making all this money. You have to play every single game you're healthy for. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, man. I'm just... We'll see how it plays out, but it's just, it's I'm happy, but frustrated and excited, but not like, I'm just like, whatever, man. Surprised. Yeah. I'm ready to see all this on paper. That's the big thing. You know, it's still, some of it's still sort of agreed upon. We haven't seen the numbers. We haven't seen the formal contract. I'm ready to see all the details that we can really have a good, better idea about everything. Um, and I want to hear from Don Garber. What's the yeah. outlook now for MLS? What's the goal of doing this? Because, you know, Players sign, players leave, all that happens all the time in the world soccer. But if you're going to make a big deal about Messi, more than just his stature, what are your goals of getting from him coming to MLS? I'm excited to see what he has to say about that. 
Well, that is one big transfer that has certainly made a big splash in the news of world football. We're going to give you a big rundown real quick of some of the big names, some of the big moves that have so far opened, so far happened in this open transfer window. Um, Tottenham agreeing to a 30 million euro transfer for Dan Kulisewski from Juventus. Um, this was an 18 month loan initially with the um, option to buy at the end of that loan for 35 million. They got it down five, which will be potentially helpful with any other signings. Tottenham may go for. He had a slump of a second season, only two goals and eight assists compared to his really stellar. Um, I think he had like seven goals, like 12 assists in that half season um, when he yeah. joined Tottenham last year. Um, but he struggled with some injuries, obviously the shakeup with management and um, with Antonio Conte, Ryan Mason and Christian Cellini certainly didn't help. Um, maybe under Postacoglu, he will be an improvement and definitely a steal, I think, regardless for Tottenham getting him for only 30 million, a 23 year old guy um, looking to contribute for a long time with Tottenham. And then Brandon, a couple more moves that we see on this list. Yeah. I'll just knock off and we'll, we'll stop at one big name. Uh, but Moise Keane, yes, he was still an Everton player. Technically um, got his move to Juventus permanently 28 million Euro. That's really good for Everton. Really, really good for Everton. Hopefully they'll be able to, you know, recoup some of their losses and um, maybe spend that this year to hopefully not be battling relegation next year. <laughs> uh, my team, Werder Bremen, uh, signed Nabi Keita from Liverpool on a free. Great business from them. Um, also on a free, Yuri Tielemans moves to the best side in the Midlands, Aston Villa. Absolutely that massive signing. signing. That's That's a, it's a great signing. He's been rumored with us in other big teams in, in the, the, the Premier League and actually across the top five leagues. Um, the fact that we were able to get him there, um, he stays in the Midlands and bolsters our midfield, which we need. It's it's a great signing. Well, for me, it's a big loss for Leicester. I mean, that's a guy, the fact that his oh, yeah. contract runs out, I mean, he's a talented young player that he could have made probably a decent amount of money for them with now relegation happening. James Madison coming out. I mean, it's, it's a big loss, you know, for your actual abilities on the field, but also to not get any sort of transfer fee for him, I think is going to be big for them in a negative way. Yeah, poor Leicester City. Uh, I'll go through a, a couple of them here. Jao Pedro makes his way to Brighton from Watford for a club record fee, 30 million pounds. Wow. Um, he's a really good young player, but is he worth the fee? I guess we'll find out. Alexis McAllister leaves from Brighton to Liverpool for 35 million pounds. The World Liverpool. Cup winner. Great business from Liverpool. They still need a couple holes filled, like I mentioned earlier. Could it be Calvin Phillips? Maybe. Um, now let's stop at, at Real Madrid buying Jubilium, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, this is a thing that I think has been rumored. I mean, even since he was, he's only 19 now. He's turning 20 soon, I think. Yes, soon. I mean, this has been rumored to happen. They've had their eyes on him for a long time, and it's finally done. 100 million euros is the number that they got him for leaving Borussia Dortmund, um, the talented young kid, 42 games played, 14 goals, six assists for the yellow and black, um, joining a stacked midfield already with Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, Valverde, Kamavinga, and Chuomeni. I mean, Brandon, this is just unbelievable. You have that first generation of Cruz, Modric, sort of Valverde, and then Kamavinga, Chuomeni, and Bellingham is just unreal. Um this is easily the biggest signing I think of the summer. Yeah, definitely. So far, I don't know if we're in for any shocks, but this, 
this is it. I think this is this is the pinnacle of the transfer market, and it's not even technically open yet. I don't think. Uh, but yeah, just look at that midfield, man. They, that's the best midfield in the world now, uh, easily. Gosh. It's it's crazy. I mean, again, the only team that can rival that is Manchester City, and I still think Real Madrid is. They're just set up. Let's just say that they're set up. They're transitioning out Cruz and Modric. Valverde's been starting there for a couple of years. They'll be transitioning in Camavinga, Chumeni. Now Jude Bellingham will probably start over Valverde or Modric or Cruz. I mean, they'll be able to mix it up, which makes them really, really scary for next year's Champions League. They already have Vinny Jr. popping off. I mean, this team is basically complete. They just need a striker now. Gosh, it's unreal. I mean, you think about it, he's 19 or turning 20. He could spend the next 15 years and be the next Luka Modric at Real Madrid. Yeah. Be 35 when he's done. If he wanted to stay there the whole time and he not could. come to the Premier League. I mean, that's just that's an incredible legacy he could potentially have. And that's the thing that we haven't seen too many English players make that transition to Spain. We've seen David Beckham do it. Um, we saw Gareth Bale is not English. He's Welsh, but sort of the same idea going from the Premier League to La Liga. Um, so it's not often that we see a player like him go over there. And so he might be able to change the game. He might be able to create this new pathway for young English players, young uh, Premier League players to make the move to La Liga and specifically Real Madrid. And I mean, competing now with the likes that we talked about Manchester city for a long time to come. um, It's going to be an incredible sight to see. He's talented. He's got a good attitude. I think he's likable. Um, He's a leader. He's just he's he's almost complete, like on the field, off the field. He Mm -hmm. speaks well. He's a leader, Um, and he he still has room to grow. Like he's only he's about to be twenty. Like this is insane. He will be Real Madrid's captain in like two years, I think. Man, it's exciting. I mean, going to be crazy. I don't even really like Real Madrid, to be honest. But I I am excited for the move. I think it's just anytime you get to see a young starlet like that i feel like it's an appropriate move it doesn't feel like it was forced it doesn't feel like it was unnatural like it feels like he's going to be a superstar he's going to go to one of the biggest teams in the world it just seems like a good fit and a good passing of the guard of that midfield going from the older guys to now these young guys and they can see if they can lift the bill if they can finally um you know pull another streak of winning champions league finals again we'll have to come and see the next couple years but um I'm really excited for this one. Um, and in more Real Madrid news, um, Carlo Ancelotti um, being rumored with the Brazil national team in 2024. Um, so maybe Jude Bellingham won't have his head coach for too long. Um, will be interesting to see there. And the one that has become official, Kareem Benzema leaving Real Madrid for a massive payday in Saudi Arabia, Al Itihad. Um, just a big massive deal which again like you said leaves a bit of a hole in that striker position Mbappe and Kane seemingly are not leaving their clubs this summer barring any surprising moves so we'll see um, who actually gets to fill Kareem Benzema's um, big Ballon d'Or hole Um, but I wanted to land on a bit of a note here we're seeing a lot of rumors a lot of offers and a lot of signings regarding Saudi Arabia obviously Kareem Benzema being the biggest one so far, um, but even the likes of Luka Modric being offered $200 million per season for three <laughs> years. People like Bernardo Silva receiving a lucrative offer. He's remaining keen on staying in Europe. 
PSG and Barcelona are looking at him. This one shocked me. Sung Hyun Min from Tottenham, a potential opening bid from Al Hittihad for around 65 million. Tottenham would never even consider a move from anybody for less than 100 million. Ruben Neves from Wolves is apparently agreed for Al Hilal for 55 million. And Gola Conte, 100 million over four years. And then the one that's interesting, Chelsea. Obviously, we know the whole ordeal with them. Financial fair play has come into their uh, purview recently. Um, Todd Bowley having connection to the Saudi Arabians. Um, I think they have a minority stake somehow in Chelsea. And what's interesting is you have players like Edward Mendy, you have Koulibaly, Ziyech, even Lukaku potentially, that these Saudi Arabian teams are offering big sums of money for these deadweight players at Chelsea, which would conveniently be helping Chelsea out of their financial fair play uh, rules and um, constrictions. And I'll read a quote. The Saudi PIF now owns majority stakes in each of these Saudi clubs. So Al-Hilal, um, Al-Hili and Al-Nasir um, and also invested in Chelsea's majority owner, Clear Lake Capital. So Chelsea co-owner Tabouli visited Saudi Arabia this month. And now Chelsea, as I mentioned, is selling unwanted high earning players to these teams. And the Telegraph reporting European rivals of Chelsea and Wolves as I mentioned, the Neves thing, are calling for fair market investigations into Saudi Arabia's dramatic haul of big money signings. One top club says teams are using the Saudi Pro League as a get-out-of-financial-fair-play-jail-free card while the mm. state embarks on its half-billion-dollar player spree. So, Brandon, I think there is a bit of a discussion here. One of the first questions being, is this just a phase you're seeing from Saudi Arabia that will pass over or is this the future of football where they seek to be relevant in the landscape of world football as a whole? It's hard. It's, it's these geopolitics, which I don't think we have enough time to really get into, but the sports sports washing idea. Um, I mean, yeah, it's definitely what it is, what it says in that quote, they are maneuvering themselves around this FFP because they can, because they have these connections because they have money. Um, they're not bringing in that much money. They're losing. They're the Saudi League is losing money just to bring in these players, right? No one cares. I, I, sorry, this is. I don't know that anyone over there cares if their club wins the league, especially the club's owners, right? I just don't think it's like that's important, and that's that's an issue with with sport, right? Like you should be wanting to win everything, yeah. <laughs> you know. You not you can't, but you should be wanting to. Um. I think it's it's just a show, it seems like, and it's it's really hard for for me to understand. I mean, the live stuff that's been going on with with golf, you know, basically buying out PGA, like that's a whole crazy thing, and that they're Saudi backed. Um, it's it's just so weird. I'm trying to figure out what it all means myself. Um, I don't think it's about football, though. I don't think they're trying to become a powerhouse. I mean. They might be trying to create a you know a super like world league or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe get ahead of the curve with that, but it doesn't make any sense to me. No one is going to watch that league. Ronaldo went. No one watched it. No one cares, and no one's going to care. No one in in America is going to care. No one in England is going to care. No one in the top five leagues in Europe, top 10 leagues in Europe are going to care. Like, I just, I, I don't think it's about football. And so it's really hard for me to be like, 
okay. I mean, I guess it's good for the players, right? They're getting a fat paycheck and then they'll play for two years and get out of there. Um, I just so confused. So many things confuse me about Saudis getting involved in football. Um, and I'm, I'm still waiting to understand like what it all actually means. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, numerous layers that are a part of this whole scheme. I mean, first of all, I mean, they're, you know, well known for their oil money. Um, eventually that will run out and they're going to have to figure out ways to make money. So they're, that's sort of the part of their new investment strategy, you know, sports, entertainment, how can they make the money off of that? So I understand, you know, them wanting to get involved, but the way it's happening is literally changing the landscape of all these things, golf, soccer, um, specifically you look at Newcastle. Now they're going to change the entire trajectory of what the premier league's table look like, because now they're going to have insane amount of money they can inject into that club. The geopolitics side of it, governments that are, you know, letting this happen. Um, organizations live created shady things going on behind the scenes. The premier league, not investigating Newcastle, not, you know, saying no because of the shady things that they've done. It's interesting that all this is just getting a pass and that there's just really no stopping it. Um, That's the scary part. There's no stopping it. No, it's there's, there's state backed, right? So a bunch of, oil millionaires billionaires get together create a fund basically and then that fund is viable because it's not owned by the state technically and so then they can use that money however they want and it's it's an endless pot it's an endless pot of money so i don't know what's next for them maybe like buying a team like newcastle like maybe that's what they're trying to do is just to continue to buy clubs across the world i mean i don't know man yeah i think it's dangerous i think it's dangerous for just the quality of the sport i think it's dangerous for the oh what's the word um just like the general like uh, reputation like how can how can we trust what's happening in these sports now i mean i think it's already was in trouble and we've talked about you know, match fixing in the past, that was a big deal in soccer. It still sometimes is regarding referees. I mean, it's just like, it's a discussion that's ongoing. You know, soccer's reputation in different ways with FIFA and UEFA. Obviously, the World Cup's practically being bought is such a topic. Money talks, man. And I'm afraid that these players, some of them are just getting caught in the crossroads, that they're just trying to support their family. They're just trying to do what's best for them. And it's hard to reject fifty million dollars per year versus five million dollars and you know playing in a lower league or you know just a mid level team. And so I don't know. I don't like it as a fan, as a kind of purist of sorts of just letting the game play out by itself and not getting involved with these big states. Um, but definitely not a big fan if I have to yeah. say so myself. The one thing that they will never have is competition. So like they won't like their league won't be competitive and it won't be competitive at the top. Um, And they won't be able to lure people in to say, we play in the champions league, you know, like they won't be able to say those sort of things, you know, it'll never be the best league in the world. So that's, I think that's where like the sports part of it comes in, right? Like players still want to compete. They still want to play at the high level. Um, so it's really obvious, like when Cristiano Ronaldo goes over there 
after scoring 20 plus goals for Manchester United the season before, like he could still be playing in Europe, um, but did it for the money. And I think we'll just start to see that divide of people being like, well, the money's too good. The money's too good. Some people make sense for, but um, the one thing we can hang on to as far as like sports goes, is like the competition part. They will, they will never have. So yeah, it's a good point. That is a great point. Well, we're going to start to transition over the pond as we do. The U.S. men's national team participated in the Nations League Cup and got some good victories and ultimately the biggest trophy that you could ask for. They beat the uh, Mexican national team 3-0. to zero. Absolutely dominant performance from the U.S. men. Uh, a brace from Christian Pulisic. We saw a similar goal. His second was a lot like the one he scored in the World Cup right in front of the goal, kind of a diving kick. Um, getting it in, and then a goal from Pepe off the bench. Um, but Brandon, the fun part of this game was the four red cards in it. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, the referee was awful all night, just let these things happen. Mexico, after ping two goals down, uh, they they knew that they were going to, they were getting blown out and they were going to get blown out. So why not, you know, regress into, into street fighting? Um, and you know, I mean, some of these players were better at fighting than they were at playing soccer. So I don't blame them. I don't fully blame them for doing that. However, uh, both teams got two red cards each, um, focusing on the Mexican national team. Like, honestly, that was the worst Mexican national team I've ever seen in my whole entire life of watching football. Like they were awful, 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 awful. Um, and they just fired their coach who was only there for seven games, I think. Unreal. So, um, you know, the U.S. is in a good spot right now, no matter what we decided decided to do and decided to do going forward. So it was a crazy game. We dominated. Glad we did. And then we went off to the final. Yeah, we went off to the final. We ended up being Canada 2-0. Chris Richards and the new kid on the block, Falaren Balogun, getting their first goals for the United States. Chris Richards was the first United States player to score a goal in a championship match and Balogun becoming the second player to score their debut, to score their first goals in a championship match. Um, I think the overall feeling after these games is that this is probably one of our better rosters that we can compile with the U.S. And they look pretty good. They looked like they hadn't really, really lost a lot of that momentum they had in the World Cup. Um, they looked like they were up for it. Um, they probably could have gone and competed with some of those other World Cup quality teams. Um, obviously, as we said, Mexico, hard to really get much from that game because they just look so bad. Um, but Canada looks pretty similar to what they put out in the World Cup as far as their roster, and we still look like the better team. Um, what were some of your takeaways from the um, Canada game? Yeah, Canada was good. Uh, I think maybe tactically they're better than us, but what? not getting lucky, but I, we just were able to find ways to get goals. And, and that was, that's, what's important. The can the Canadian national team coach always says something like if we score first, you know, that is where we, that's our bread and butter. Basically, if we can score first, we can really have a good shot at winning any game. Um, and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't score at all. So uh, they had a couple chances, but other than that, the United States really held them at bay like they did with Mexico. So um, great performances from the men's national team. Um, and I, I don't know if we expected this really. I mean, I, th- I had more fear about um, Canada 
but they didn't see it show any fear at all with, you know, two players out due to red cards, the next guy up mentality. And it was, it was fun. It was fun to watch. It was a different style of, of play with BJ Callahan at the, at the helm. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed myself this week. <laughs> yeah. And then we saw Gio Reyna after his sort of interesting winter, getting the assists in that final, um, Chris Richards on the corner and then Ballo on through ball. Um, coming off injured so hopefully that's not gonna you know keep him out anything uh but he had a solid performance um christian Pulisic looking like his old self um hopefully that can be boosting his either confidence if he stays at chelsea under Mauricio pochettino or potentially is elevating where he may go next if he gets a move in the summer window but really the big news maybe perhaps more than winning the trophy was the announcement during halftime of that Mexico game. And, and it is that Greg Berhalter is back as the U.S. men's national team coach, Brandon. And this is just divisive, I would say, the least. But give me the rundown, the breakdown of what really went on to get him back as men's head coach. Basically, um, after Matt Crocker came in, um, He's the sporting director for the U.S. Men's National Team. Maybe the, is it the Soccer Federation or the U.S. Men's National Team? I think it's the Either way. Men's Soccer Federation, I think. Yeah. Um, they basically did – they had an external partner come in and do a review and an evaluation um, to highlight who the U.S. Men should hire a, as the next manager, um, you know, cl- claiming that it was a – data-driven approach the whole thing was a data-driven process they i mean they did interviews like qualitative data they so they, they did a whole bunch of thing things they rated all of the managers that they interviewed and all that and uh greg berhalter rose to the top and was the choice the best choice um I'll give my thoughts in a minute. What do you think about that process? If if they're being honest about it, which I, I think they are, it's a normal process for businesses to do. So it's it's I think they probably did it, but like the fact that it was Greg at the end, like it makes you feel like there was something shady again going on in U.S. soccer after we cleared out, seeming like seeming like everybody, and then are rebuilding, and then Greg is still the guy. We'll talk if we hate it or love it, but like, what about the process? What are your feelings about it? Well, it's just interesting. Uh, there was some discussion at some point in the past couple of days about finances, you know, how they're not necessarily just like totally endless, that there are like, there is a limit, especially now the idea of, you know, the women's team and the men's team trying to be treated as equally as possible. Um, so it's just like an allocation of money. Okay. Well, if we have a limit, is it the smartest thing to then do a global worldwide search for a manager? Um, I think remind me of the Onyeka, the old, the old Onyewu, Onyewu, yeah, the old defender who's now a part of the uh, federation was talking about how you know there was European caliber managers, teams that we know and recognize. He obviously didn't say the managers' names, but he talked about just like these are guys that you would recognize that we went through this interview process with. I guess I believe them. You know, I, it's, I guess it's doing your due diligence, but just it seems like the resources that they apparently used to then only come back and land on Greg Berhalter just seems like at some point someone said, maybe we don't have the financial flexibility to make it happen, so we're going to stick with what was safe 
and what we can actually keep within our budget. And it seems like Greg Berhalter was that option somewhere logistically. Um, but yeah, I just, it is strange. It is strange. Maybe they never wanted to go through this process because of just the events that happened with the whole Reina situation and the World Cup. And I don't know, maybe somewhere in the back of everyone's mind, they thought they were going to keep him anyways. And they just wanted to put on this facade of a global search. But I don't know. It is. It's very strange to come back to um, step one. Yeah. I mean, look, we can take their word for it, I guess, at the end of the day. It's hard to after, you know, knowing their history, but let's take their word for it at the end of the day. I'm going to at least, and if Greg's the guy at the end of the day, I know I just said that four times in a row, but if he is, then I I back the process. I, I really yeah. do. Um, and he, he's given us everything to basically believe in him that he can get a job done in this next World Cup in, in the Gold Cup coming up if he coaches that and uh, the Copa America that we're going to be involved in, like, it, it does make me excited um, knowing the the success that we had, that he had with only three years with the team. Um, I just, I'm just pissed off at the whole thing. I think why, if you one if you knew you're going to hire him again, why did you, did you take six months away from him to work with the, with the team? But like, it, like how, how after all that was he the guy that you chose? Um, I don't know. We'll take, we'll leave that there. What are your feelings about him becoming the manager again? Okay. Here's my thing. I'm a big proponent of consistency. I've, I've talked about this during the, uh, domestic season of just different teams hiring and firing. I just feel like it's just, it's not a recipe for success oftentimes. And I think it's a good example of how it can pertain to the national team as well. Oftentimes, these firings correlate to their performance in that four-year World Cup cycle. Greg actually had a pretty good World Cup cycle in that three years that he was given. He actually performed, I think, to the standard that the U.S. probably would look out for itself. We got out of our group in the World Cup. That's a big goal. Um, we really underperformed in that Netherlands game, losing 3-1. I mean, that team just looked awful on the day. Um, but we got out of the group, and we won the CONCACAF Nations League. We won the Gold Cup. I think in that first cycle, I think he did what he could with a pretty young squad, more or less what would be considered a rebuild of sorts. And we had to restart from the likes of the Michael Bradleys, the Josie Altidores, you know, those names that had gone through three or four World Cups together. Um, So, you know, I don't put the blame on him, Greg Berhalter, for, you know, falling short by someone's standards. I think he did fine. And so that's why I'm saying consistency is key and I'm cool with bringing him back because I think that just allows him to continue to build and allow him to continue to work with these players. And now that's clear and set in stone. Now we've got four years of guys that can know their position. We've got a new striker. I only think he can build upon it even better um, more than probably some guy that's not associated with the Federation coming in and trying to start from scratch all over again, probably wouldn't have been the best thing. So yeah, I'm cool with it. I would rather have just said back in January, hey, we're proud of what you did in the World Cup. We think you have a bright future. Let's go ahead and continue then. But for some reason, they put on this whole fiasco and made it a little bit more complicated than it probably needed to be. Yeah. 
that whole thing with Geo is weird. And honestly, it'll be water under the bridge at this point. Geo has shown if he can stay healthy, which is a big, big, big if. I mean, he got hurt in, in the, the Nations League. Um, that he will have to probably start every game, like it, when it matters. Uh, yeah. He is he is that good. His ceiling is that high. He's not that good yet. Let's let's be real. Let's be honest with ourselves here. But we can all see the potential. In He's him. a difference maker. He's he is a difference maker. A big game player with the two assists in the final there, like. He's going to have to play. And Greg knows that too. I don't think Greg's uh, <laughs> that much of an asshole to not like play him and hold a grudge. Like, like Tata was doing against Carlos Vela and Chicharito last right. year. Well, it's even too. I mean, the U S is not like England. It's not like Spain. It's not like Italy where we have this luxury of leaving big names off of our roster. Yeah. We, don't, we just don't have that luxury because if you don't bring in Gio Reyna, who's, who's next up in line. It's certainly not, you know, going to be a big name player in Europe. It's probably going to be an MLS guy or someone who hasn't quite established themselves yet. And that's the thing. You have to have these players like Gio Reyna on your roster because it's the best of what you have right now. Yeah. And everybody knows that. Um, so I think Berhalter probably learned his mistake too. Now, I don't know if Gio would have really helped in the World Cup. We got to where we got to. Um, were we going to top that that group? No. Um the Netherlands are better than us. So the fact that we lost three to one, isn't like that big of a deal to me. Um, so whatever. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that Greg Berhalter would not be back if the players didn't want him there. So I think that's it's, this is reading between the lines. The players wanted him. And there's been some interviews, Tim way. I think Christian Pulisic have both come out and said like, yeah, we believe in Greg. So why shouldn't we as fans believe in him? They want him there. Read between the lines, people. They want him there. Um, and I again, he's shown he's done everything we wanted him to do up until this point. Right. You know, leave the off field stuff off field. If you just look at on field and the, the team likes him as a manager, I, I think I think it's great. I, I really do. Yeah. You know, it sort of reminds me of I don't know if everyone always follows the NBA, but it sort of feels like an NBA hire. You know, sometimes it's always just about like the team part. It's not always yeah. about the tactics, the formula, you know, what actually happens on the court or on the field, but more so the leadership, the aspect of what's going to bring the team the closest together, what's going to create the best chemistry. And it seems like Greg is a chemistry guy. Yeah. People are not always going to agree with his tactics on the field, but I think everyone could probably agree that he is good at bringing, especially the short windows they have together as a team. It's not like they're spending you know, 250 days out of the year together, like their domestic clubs, they're only getting these short camps. And so Greg seems to be doing a really good job of creating a cohesive team. And that's the best part. He's a good leader. Um, he's stuck up for his players when he needs to. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. I think those players are probably what led him to coming back. Their belief in him and their trust in him is obviously what led him getting another four yeah. years of the U.S. team. And, and this will be my last point on this that break would have been a perfect time to sign somebody new. I do think Um, the only person that I would have really seen taking the job and coming was Thierry Henry. Um, And if we're being honest here, Thierry Henry is not a better manager than Greg Berhalter. I know it sounds crazy, but he's not now the magic about him coming and the maybe establishment in that locker room and his knowledge of the game is definitely better than Greg's. And 
Um, man management could arguably be better too, but you look at his track record and managing itself, awful, terrible, terrible, terrible manager. So, you know, in international play, you don't need the best manager to do well necessarily. Um, I think Greg gives you more than Thierry Henry and I'm okay. I'm okay. I would have been okay with Thierry Henry as well to see where that, that goes. But consistency for me is, is key here. And um sort of glad Greg gets another shot at another World Cup with this with his roster. Yeah. Well, at to this point, he has coached 60 matches, 37 wins, 11 draws, 12 losses. So he has a 61.67 win percentage. During his four years so far, he has won two Confederation titles and obviously advanced the round of 16 in the 22-22 World Cup. So... Not a bad stat line. Um, we'll hope that he can lead us to good things. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be coaching the upcoming Gold Cup. I don't know if we've gotten confirmation on that, but the Gold Cup is coming June 24th. We start against Jamaica at 9.30, and we're getting a more or less MLS roster, Brandon. Um, some of the big names that just played in the CONCACAF Nations League aren't returning for the Gold Cup. Um, definitely a big turnover turnover. Maybe not the roster Greg would have picked, but maybe it is a little bit unsure. But it's just, again, one of those kind of weird things that's happening um, with the managerial change. Um, but any quick thoughts about the Gold Cup before we start to wrap things up here? No, it's coming up. I didn't realize it was this soon. Um, a lot of MLS players, basically all MLS players. Matt Turner is still on the team, though. Um, Gaga Slonina might get some playing time, which could be exciting um, to see him from Chelsea. But yeah, it should be fun. Um, I don't know if we're expected to win it. I haven't really looked at it much, but it's a longer tournament. You know, there's there's a group stage and whatnot. So I'm excited. More more international soccer for me. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it gives us something to watch in the summer, which we have the Women's World Cup. We obviously have the Gold Cup and some other um, tournaments. So any soccer is good soccer, especially when MLS is the best league that is currently playing for us to watch, it seems. Um, which brings us to our MLS Fast Five, our chance to predict five of the best games going on MLS this week. We have Austin FC hosting FC Dallas. Brandon, quick run through of this one, your prediction to start. Man, Austin FC has really fallen off a cliff, but yeah. I think they'll get a win at home. I think they will. I'll go one nothing Austin FC. <laughs> I feel like my predictions this season haven't been stellar, but I will go with the 1-1 draw here for FC Dallas and Austin FC. Uh, LAFC playing host to the Seattle Sounders is probably the best matchup we have. The two seed right now in LAFC versus the three seed in the Seattle Sounders. What do you have? Oh, man. Um, Going to be a big game, obviously. I think LAFC will win 2 nothing. 2 nothing. I'll take them at home. They, are, they have been uh, impressive at home. Um, I think they'll continue to be I, – I, I think they're definitely – if I just say the best team in the West, I know St. Louis is doing really well. Um, but LAFC, I would predict to be going to potentially back-to-back MLS Cup finals. 2-0 for me on the scoreline on this one. Uh, Colorado playing host to LA Galaxy, 14-13 and 13 in the bottom of the West. This is an ugly one. Is there any hope either team can even score a goal in this one? <laughs> you got to hope LA Galaxy can. Um, just don't lose to Colorado, LA Galaxy. Just... Don't do it. LA Galaxy, I'll go 1-0 away. I'm also taking 1-0 in this one. It's just 
they did lose Chicharito. That's going to be a big blow to them to their already abysmal season. Um, if there's any hope, though, let's let's hope that they can just get it done against Colorado because they are no better than they are. Uh, fifth and fifth seed Columbus right now is playing host to Nashville. This should be a fun matchup. Are you going to catch this one? I will not be there as of right now. I'm not going to be there, um, but it will be good. Columbus is great at home. Nashville with uh, probably going to win the MVP again. Haney Mukhtar mm-hmm. um, coming into town. I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw on this one. Okay, okay. I'm going to take Nashville 2-1 on the road. A big win for them. Um, looking to continue to stay close to the top in the East. And then finally, San Jose playing host to the leaders, St. Louis. Um, what do you got for this one? I'm going to go 2-1 San Jose. I don't know why, just feeling it. But St. Louis, the fact that they're still in first is absolutely amazing. Yeah, excited to see where they can go. You know, you never know. Um, I think this one, San Jose is not a bad club. They've proven Mm -hmm. to be decent thus far. I'll take a 1-1 draw. Um, Both teams getting a point for this one, um, keeping them in their respective positions. But that's basically going to be it today for the Supporter Section Podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed our time together. If you made it this far, make sure to leave a like on the video. Subscribe if you have not already. If you're new around here, get in the comments. Let us know how you feel about Greg Berhalter being back on the U.S. men's national team and also Lionel Messi's move to MLS. Um, How are things shaking up in your mind? Let us know down below. I have been Cole Carter. He has been Brandon Pacenick. And we missed you, Stephen Curl. Everyone, enjoy your week. We will see you guys in the next one. Until then. Peace out. See ya.